0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly guest dharma series. Thanks to
1: see everybody here tonight. Thanks for coming. So I'm happy to introduce Doug McGill, who uh, some of you probably recognize when Doug was an adjunct professor at St. Thomas for five years or so more regularly up here at Common Ground. Doug has um, had a distinguished career as a journalist, 10 years for the New York Times, maybe five years for Bloomberg News, and Tokyo and New York as Bureau Chief, and since he's been back in Minnesota for the last seven years, six years? Eight. Eight years now. Mm -hmm. He uh, has um, had the McGill Report, a very interesting blog that you can check out. Is that right? We yep. report that dot .org, dot org. Yep. and uh, Doug has really been experimenting about the role of journalism uh, as a way to uh, something in alignment with this practice that we do, uh, seeking the truth and leaving behind the ego. So you can check out his blog and let him know if you think he's doing a good job. He also has a couple books out. And I'm forgetting the the title of that one that you sent me.
0: The most recent one is called Here, A Global Citizen's Journey.
1: Which is very interesting. I'm assuming most of them coming off of the blog. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Don has also started the Vipassana Intent Meditation City Group down in Rochester. So if you know anybody down there, um, they can join the group. It's Thursday evenings. Sometimes Doug gives a short talk. He has guest teachers from time to time. But it's really a thriving small city group down in Rochester. Actually, it's growing now that you've had some big visitors. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's great having Doug here. And it's, it's really good. It's a, an appropriate time, I think, for us all to look at our relationship to mass media. And uh, this is our opportunity. And I'm sure Doug will leave some time for questions and discussion around the subject, how do we live in this ocean of mass media with wisdom and equanimity. Thanks, Beck, for coming.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot, Mark. And I want to start off by thanking you, Mark and Wynn, for uh, hosting this and, and um, giving me the opportunity to address you here. Can everybody here in the back you hear me all right?
1: Fairly.
0: OK, I'll try to project. I um, wanted to thank Mark and Wynne and. Uh, this is, in a small way, I, I, I feel it's a way to give back to common ground. I've been coming here uh, for about four years, and um, it was really important to me when I came um, at the beginning, especially, um, and it really continues to be um, important to me for a somewhat different reason. But, um, you know, I really I, I came to this place when I really needed the Dharma. And it really put a floor under me, spiritually. And um, I I can't really express the gratitude um, behind that. And like I say, this is a small way to give back. Well, we'll, I'll give you the talk and we'll see how how much I'm able to give back. Well, um, the title of this talk, The Mass Media as Spiritual Practice, came out of uh, discussions that Mark and I had really following the first a 10-day retreat that I took. For the past four years, I've taken a 10-day retreat in June. And the first time I took that retreat, three, and and every they would all say to me, they would look at me with a very straight face and say very directly, we're here because the Ethiopian government is trying to kill our tribe. And after some digging, I find out that... that uh, uh there have been very, very serious cases of ethnic cleansing against the AnUAC that have been going on since 1991 when the present regime took power. And this is the kind of thing no journalist rushes into print. You know, if someone makes a claim that, that a sovereign government is trying to kill an entire tribe, that's called genocide. And that's what, these, that's what these AnuAC were telling me that they're in Minnesota because they're being genocided out of Ethiopia. Well, I mean, this is a huge thing. Like I said, you don't run into print with that. You have to do a lot of work before you ever publish a thing like that. But I talked to dozens of ANUAC, and I came to the conclusion that, well, it really did, because I I kept hearing the same exact stories, that yes, every three or four years, um, troop trucks of uniformed Ethiopian soldiers show up in the major ANUAC towns and get out of the back of the troop trucks and start killing ANUAC. You know, as many Anuak as possible. You know, and sometimes they get out of the troop trucks with lists of names, and they go to homes and they pull them out and they tell the pull the pull out the men and the men and the boys, never the women, and they tell them to run. And when they run, they get they get shot in the back. I heard that so many times. You know, what is everybody telling the same lie? It didn't seem to like to me that was likely. But anyway, what was happening on that day that my phone was ringing off the hook? Because I got six or seven calls on one Saturday afternoon. They were the Anuak that I've been interviewing before. And what they were telling me that day was that one of the periodic massacres of Anuak was happening right then. In other words, they were calling me because they were on cell phones with their friends and their family back in western Ethiopia, and they were literally hearing the sounds of massacre over the cell phone. They were hearing gunshots. They were hearing their parents and their, their wives and and friends and kids screaming and crying. Sometimes they heard soldiers saying, put that phone down. And then they would hear gunshots and everything would go silent. And dozens of ANUAC in this state heard that, heard those, because they had their cell phones open all day long. And in addition, the ANUAC in this state were getting getting, um, eyewitness accounts of what was going on, because they kept the cell phones open for hours. And they would say, what do you see now, what do you see now, what do you see now? And so the ANUAC in Minnesota, while they weren't eyewitnesses, they were this weird category of earwitnesses, you might say, You know, who I thought were telling a very compelling and very likely true story the more I reported it. Well, anyway, the reason why I bring that, that up is because um, you know, I felt as a journalist that a question, an ethical question for me arose, which was that with the training that I had as a journalist, I would never be able to publish the story that was in my hands. I mean, you know, a reporter from southern Minnesota is supposed to write about a massacre in western Ethiopia with authority. Well, what? Tell me more. I mean, that didn't sound likely, and I knew that if I'd been in any conventional newsroom, that I, 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 you know, wouldn't get wouldn't get uh, five minutes of an editor's time with that one. Um, But what I had, you know, what I was hearing to me seemed so compelling and so likely true, and also. So susceptible, the information was susceptible to real journalistic focus. Like I said, I interviewed dozens of annual in Minnesota. And anyway, I did end up publishing, but the reason I bring it up is